Hello, and welcome to the Meeple in a Game Stack podcast, a podcast all about board games, whether it's getting into them, getting the most out of them, or just having a good time. This is podcast number 44, and as always, I am your host, Mitch Brown. And on today's podcast, we are going to be continuing Eric Lang Month with part three, Blood Rage. But first, we're going to be addressing some community stuff, answering a community question, and talking about what we've been playing recently. So, the community stuff is really quite simple. I actually just wanted to take the moment to... I have settled on my decision, and Meeple in a GameStack will be awarding the Top Shelf Award to the game Rising Sun. We think it's excellent. It is one of the best games out there. You can have a great time with it. And with that out of the way, we're going to jump into the community question, which is a bit of a curveball, I guess. And this comes from Carter. If you could make any kind of risk, what would it be? (laughs) Which, uh, I guess it's not a curveball for a board game podcast to be answering a question about a really popular board game. But to be honest, I'm actually unfamiliar with risk. I have played risk, but that was when I was a kid. So more than a decade ago, probably. And yeah, for me, it's just kind of a, I guess, childhood classic game. I remember games of Risk lasting more than one day, usually, as it is a very slow kind of methodical war game where you have to really stamp out your enemies to win. But I haven't played it in a decade, so maybe it has changed dramatically since then. I have yet to try (laughs) since being a kid, basically. But if I had to make any kind of Risk, I would do two things. Maybe three. (laughs) First off, for a theme, personally, I would actually like to see a Legend of Zelda risk. I feel like you could have the different factions be the different races that are exist within the Legend of Zelda kind of canon. I'm a big fan. I love the Zelda games. And yeah, I think that would be kind of an interesting spin on it. But interesting spins, I would love to actually see a Patrick Later Root-style asymmetric faction powers or abilities or uh, mechanics. I understand Risk is not like that, and I feel like anything to kind of give your faction a little more flavor. So if the Zelda one you could make, I don't know, the Zoras are better on coastal areas and that kind of thing, just little benefits for the different races in the Legend of Zelda game. I'd love to see it kind of mix up classic Risk a little bit. As well as, I actually haven't had the chance to play Risk Legacy, but it would be very cool to see legacy components to it. Maybe you could have, with this asymmetric, whoever won the last game, you know, very minor legacy type stuff. So just whoever won the last game, maybe they start as the majority on the board, or they get extra benefits or something, but then it's worth... I don't know, maybe have the other factions who are at a disadvantage have to unite against this larger, more overpowered faction, maybe for the first whatever turns or just at the beginning. But I'd just like to see the cross-game sort of, I guess, legacy things. It doesn't have to be a huge campaign or anything like that, though you could certainly do that. I think just the the chance to foster those rivalries that would exist between games I think would be really cool. So yeah, that's my pitch for a new Risk-type game, Legend of Zelda Risk asymmetric, maybe legacy components. And thank you for your question, Carter. It was a good one. Alas, I just haven't played Risk in a long time. So I don't know, maybe asymmetric exists. I know Risk Legacy is a thing where you can play through like a campaign. I have yet to try it, though I've heard it's quite good. I guess before I leave this question, 
I have not really played Risk, but I've played a lot of good war games over the last few years, more recent updated designs and stuff. And uh, I think maybe if you are way into Risk, maybe here's a few that you could also try that you might like. Speaking of Root and Patrick Later, I have to bring up Root. Yes, it's got cutesy woodland animals, and it's a little far away from the more historical, true-to-actual-war sort of stylings of Risk, but the asymmetricality of the factions, the interesting interplay of their systems, is absolutely something worth checking out. If you wanted a little more straight historical war board game, I would go with 878 Vikings. is an excellent team player game, one of the best team player games we've played. And that is all about moving armies across a map. But in this case, it does have asymmetric factions where the Vikings kind of emerge as a big horde and the Englishmen have to be defensive among their cities on England. It's really good and worth checking out. Of course, the last two features have been troops on a map style war games. So Rising Sun and Blood Rage are absolutely something worth checking out if you're into it. They're both not completely straight sort of troops on a map board games. They've got their own twists on it and extra mechanics that make them kind of not exactly that game, but it still has those elements. And lastly, I'd also recommend Scythe. Yes, it's also a troops on a map game like that, but it has kind of a more of a focus on economic considerations behind keeping this war effort up. Plays really well, has some great production, and also has a really cool pseudo-historical setting where it's just after World War I, but they've got big mechs. So that is something that's absolutely worth checking out. But yeah, thanks so much for your question, Carter. If you have any questions for the podcast, you, listener, can have your question on the podcast. Just shoot me an email at meepleinthegamestack at gmail.com or hit me on Twitter or Instagram or those type of things. And yeah, we can answer your question. All right, and next up is what we've been playing recently. And the first one is a very interesting new release, and this is Under Falling Skies, designed by... Sorry uh, to this designer, I'm struggling with the pronunciation, but I believe it's Thomas Uller. It could also be Thomas Uller. There's several umlauts that I do not know how to pronounce. But it's also published by Czech Games Edition. So what Under Falling Skies is, it's a very Space Invaders-esque game. Aliens are invading and you're defending Earth. And it comes with this very long board that you defend Earth by rolling dice, which you have to get certain combinations and line the aliens up to get shots and blast their ships out of the sky. But the mothership is coming and more and more ships are coming. So this is just something you have to do in the background while you develop your base and research a way to uh, send Jeff Goldblum with a laptop up there to go destroy the mothership. And that's kind of it. The big twist here is that Under Falling Skies is a single player only game, which I found really interesting, and usually I find single-player versions of games are just less, well, I mean less engaging. Having the other person there and not knowing exactly what they're going to do is usually quite better. So this was really interesting to have it be a dedicated single-player game, and to be honest, it could be one of my favorites here. It's um, very interesting, it's nice to just be able to sit down and play a game yourself. The production is really great, with all the pieces being excellent, the art is lovely. It's got some great replayability. It's interesting in that it kind of makes you multitask, the defense while also the getting the most out of your base. Uh, yeah, but it's very interesting. I'm going to keep digging on this one. There's actually a campaign mode that comes with it, so I'm going through that and testing that out. Uh, so you'll probably hear more about it, but so far I'm really enjoying it. Something worth checking out, I think. Especially in, you know, the last year and a half, single-player games have probably been 
much more popular than they were before then. The next game that we've been checking out is Rift Force, designed by Carlo Bortolini and published by One More Time Games. What Rift Force is, is a small box card game where you play two dueling forces who are trying to harvest the Rift Force. This big purple chasm has opened up in the land and the titular Rift Force is what can be acquired out of it. So you're kind of battling over this area where you can harvest the Rift Force for yourself. In it, you do three things on your turn. You can deploy elementals, which are these kind of golem-like creatures that are tied with a certain element water, fire, light, etc. You deploy them out. Second part of your turn, you activate them so that a certain amount will attack, and then you just draw back up to your cards and see if you gather any Rift Force. The interesting thing here is your deck is made of five, six, and sevens, all of their certain element is how the cards are marked. And when you play cards, they have to either be all the same number, so three sixes, or they have to be uh, all the same element, so maybe a five, six, seven, but all fire. You deploy them out, and then you activate in much the same way. You discard one card from your hand and activate three of whatever type it is. So you can discard a five and, and activate three fives, or you can discard a fire card and activate those three fire guys. And this little interplay of playing cards and balancing being able to activate them, trying to maximize how many you can get out and how many you can activate, is really tight and interesting, and managing where you go on this kind of five-slot board that you're fighting. I guess there's five lanes, so you square off over five areas as you go. The kind of biggest twist here is that before the game, you either draft or do randomly uh, four different guilds for yourself, and these are basically four different elements. There's ten in the box, light, shadow, ice, fire, water, wind, earth, plant, and uh, one I've missed, I'm sure. But you get a random assortment of them, and they all do a special thing. When they activate, yes, they'll do a little bit of damage, but the plant one, for example, hits the person in the lane beside it and drags them over while doing a bit of damage. The fire one hits really hard, but also burns your team a little bit as your team takes some damage. Light deals damage and heals your team a little bit, and the combination of what you get makes every game different quite a bit, and it's very interesting to see how these kind of pair up and how you can use them, and so far I've really been enjoying it. All the art on this game is exceptional, I really like it. It's wonderfully simple and quick, it can be played in basically a half hour. And yeah, the puzzle of balancing what cards to play and what to put out and where is very... It's interesting and quite good, and I'm finding the conflux of all these things is shaping this one up to be a really great game. So not quite a full verdict yet, something we're also just going to be checking out, but quite enjoying so far. So that's Rift Force. If you get the chance to play it, do so. All right, and now for our feature game and topic... This is part three of Eric Lang Month. If you're unfamiliar with our designer months, it's where we spend a whole month focusing on big name board game designers. Maybe they're some of the greats. Maybe they are an up and comer. It's just to kind of focus on these big board game designers and their work. More importantly, some of the best games in board gaming is what we've covered. And this month is Eric Lang. And for this week, we are featuring Blood Rage. So what Blood Rage is, is Ragnarok has come. The end of the world is happening for sure. There's nothing left to do. It's too late to save yourself. And you know for sure that you're going to die. But you play as a Viking clan. And as any self-respecting Viking clan, you intend to die gloriously in battle. 
and go to Valhalla because the clock is ticking and <laughs> there's only a few opportunities left to get enough glory to get in. And how you'll do this, how you'll wage this epic war is through a area control game and card drafting game. The first part of the three ages or rounds that make up the game, it, you'll have a card draft. Everyone draws eight cards, picks one, keeps it, passes the hand on. You do this until you've got six cards, meaning that two from every hand will get discarded. And then you start playing the area control troops on a map game. In this, you'll have five actions, you can invade, you can move guys around, which interestingly, there's no rules for adjacency or anything. You can just invade wherever, anywhere on the board that there's enough space for you to do so. When you move, you can just move to anywhere on the map that, of course, there's enough space for you to do so. And the other three actions are playing upgrade cards from the hands that you just drafted. You can play quest cards also from the hands that you just drafted. Upgrades, making your units better or giving your clan special abilities like winning glory for dying in fights or getting extra benefits for winning or just getting more power to win the fights. The quest cards you actually have to put down and that's a mini objective you've given yourself. If you can achieve it at the end of the round, still have be meeting whatever condition is on it. Usually it's like taking over a certain area. If you can do so, you get a bunch of points and a little upgrade for yourself. And the last action you can do is a pillage. And this is where the glorious dying in battle fights come in as you pillage a part of the map, but this also lets everyone kind of pile in for it, as long as there's space in the area. <laughs> you might be picking up on a little bit of a theme in there. In these fights, you compare the strength of your forces, so if you've got, you know, big chunky leaders or monsters or just regular troops in there, you just count up what their force is worth. You ask if anyone wants to pile in <laughs> into your fight, and this is where the only kind of adjacent comes in. They have to be in an area next to you to be able to pile in. And then you all select a card from your hand, these battle cards, the, other, the third type of card that you can draft in that card draft, and you all reveal them at the same time. And these have some cheeky things. Either they tend to be just a plus number adding to your forces and to your who actually wins the battle, or it'll have a little text that does an extra thing. Maybe it's you get a bunch of glory or points for winning the game for everyone who dies, or you steal some glory from the person who wins the fight, or... You cancel each other's cards. These combat cards all have a bunch of interesting and powerful effects that let you kind of swing it in your favor. If, you know, it's a three-force to a four-force, that's not a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. From there, whoever wins gets a upgrade for their clan. They actually discard their battle card used, and the losers get to keep theirs. And what these upgrades I've been mentioning is on your little faction board, including the upgrades that you can play from cards, there are stat upgrades. And these are just rage, which is the points that you use to fuel these actions, like the moving, the bringing more guys out, the paying for upgrades and such. So it's kind of managing that economy. There's how many points you get for actually winning fights, because that's another way to get glory is by winning fights. And the last one is how big your army can be, how many figures you can have out on the board. And that's kind of the action. You keep doing this until everyone is out of rage or the entire board has been pillaged. Then you discard down to one card, so you can keep one card between rounds. And then another area of the map gets destroyed. In, you know, Ragnarok is happening, the world is ending. But interestingly, this locks off more and more of the board as you go. Through the three rounds, the area that you have to fight in will get smaller and smaller as everyone gains more and more stuff. So it gets an even, like, really just chokes the action down into a smaller and smaller area as it goes. 
And then at the end of the round, you get all your dead fighters back into your supply, and then you start again. You start another draft with a new deck of cards and keep going. You do this three times, and then whoever has the most glory at the end of the game, including bonuses for getting those little stat upgrades for your clan, there's heavy bonuses for those at the end of the game, and whoever has the highest wins. And that's kind of Blood Rage. It is a really tight area control, and really, when I say that choking and mention the if there's space, because those considerations are some of the biggest in the game. If you have a huge, powerful army, it doesn't always mean that you just get to use it, because there's only one space, the one in the center, where there's not a, a miniature limit, versus all the others have one. And some of the spaces can only hold three, so an opponent can move in two really powerful figures, and even if you have ten guys, it doesn't matter, because you'll only get to move in one. Or even they might move their guys into every space in a region, in which case they can just pillage it without any interference at all. And these kind of space and board considerations are a huge part of this game. And it is really interesting and makes it really tight that the board keeps shrinking as everyone's trying to do more and get more, and it just gets smaller and smaller until the end of the game. It is also a lot of fun, as much as I'm saying this tight and choking, it is actually really fun. This is a great game for just being a Viking and punching each other in the nose. Um, and that being emphasized is really great. This is another one from Eric Lang where he just kind of really brings the fun out of this theme and you do feel very Viking-y in that you often just want to die in battle, which is very appropriate. And I found with the path to winning, yes, winning fights matters, achieving quests are really good, but the best thing is kind of getting those stat upgrades, which I originally thought might be a bit overpowered because I mean, really big objectives or really big quests can give you 11 points, but these upgrade bonuses at the end of the game can give you 10 or 20 points, depending on how far up the track you got your marker. And I originally thought this might be a little overpowered and unbalancing, but it actually just really rewards you from winning fights, because every time you win a fight or pillage in an area, and it has to be a fight you started, if someone else pillages and you just stop them, you don't get the benefit, you have to win the fight there yourself. But it really just does incentivize winning fights, so it makes it that, so that you want to fight, because you do have to keep winning fights. You can't just retreat from battle and play like the points game in this. It's pretty tough to do so. And of course, being from Cool Mini or Not, or Come On Games, the minis are great. They're really full of flavor and personality, and they're really interesting. I don't have any of the expansions, this is just the base game of Blood Rage and the Snapping Rings thing that is back from Rising Sun, or I guess this one came first, so it did it first, but the attaching your ring to a monster to claim it as yours is really satisfying. And overall the production is really nice, even though it is kind of more limited components, which I found really interesting, and the people I played with found really interesting in that this looks like it's going to be a big, huge, chunky game, but it's actually kind of streamlined and simple in its rule set, and even components, there's not a huge amount of stuff. It's mostly just the cards and the minis and a few extra little trackers and stuff. And the fact that it does so much and is easy to teach and kind of does so much with all this limited amount of stuff is fairly impressive. A huge thing here is the card draft. That card draft, even though it kind of sounds like a little preparation step on the what, you know, then the troops on a map is the main game, that card draft is hugely influential. Once you've got the mechanics down, once you know how everything works, those benefits you can give yourself, what quests you take, what battle cards you can get, and having a balance between them all is super important and will decide the outcome of the game. 
Especially, just like Rising Sun, the decks progressively get more powerful. So the first one you draft is good, and then the second one you draft is great, and then the third one is amazing as you pull out really huge things. Point values go up, fights get bigger, and it really escalates nicely. The action economy of the rage points that you kind of spend to do actions and building that and spending them wisely is very tight and it makes it so that you really have to think about what you're going to do to try to squeeze the most points out and stop your enemies. And also I really like how the area control and this action you actually at variable player counts you start with more of the board already destroyed or locked off. So in a three player game we started with two areas already gone versus the one gone in the four player game. Which doesn't sound like that many, but when there's only nine areas on the board, locking two off makes it a totally different game. But actually it makes it exactly the same game because it keeps that level of tightness even though there's not another player who's filling up the board. And I found that very well designed. And just how important that card draft is, the card combos that you can get, and if you can get abilities that kind of complement each other and work out a great system for not only maybe... You have a card that you get points if you kill your guys, but then if you have points that for every one of your guys dies, that's just double points. And then if you can, you know, do another thing to give yourself triple points, that's kind of how you win this game, is getting those complementary abilities. Maybe you play an upgrade where you get a bunch of points for winning with your leader, and then you give your leader, like, a big combat upgrade. Or, you know, you get one of these huge monsters and then get points for everybody who he kills in battle or something. Getting these complementary actions is a huge path to winning and how you really maximize the game. As a negative, it can make it a little swingy. If you get somebody who just like picks up on those card combos and does so really well, and because of the randomized hands and all that stuff, you can just get some really powerful combos. But uh, I feel like that's fairly minor in this game. As well as, yeah, with the randomization of the what areas give what bonuses, what areas are going to be locked off, and how many, and as well as you you don't get to draft every card in all of these decks. There's always going to be extras, no matter of player count, but this kind of lets it so that each game is different. Each uh, combination of upgrades and cards that you can draft is going to be different, and it's going to change your experience of the game quite significantly, and I found that to be really enjoyable with this game. But I do have some criticisms. It As much as I really had a great time with it, I, I think the biggest one is that Yes, I recommended this earlier for someone who likes Risk and that Troops on a Map War games, but if you got this box and expected just a Troops on a Map War game, it's very much a different kind of experience. You're not going to amass a huge army and then stomp them across the battlefield, because largely, since you can move anywhere on the battlefield, the territory, kind of like holding specific places apart from quests, doesn't super matter. The adjacency and that kind of managing front lines doesn't matter really. And the card draft being so important makes this very much its own kind of game. It's definitely an area control, but it's very much less a troops on a map game. And I think if people go in expecting that, they would be quite disappointed. So just, I guess, something to be aware of. The card nuances, so specifically the battle cards, I found in times to be a little bit ambiguous. If you have one that cancels all other cards, and one that says discard all other cards, which one takes precedence? And while we did kind of manage this at the table, just, you know, as a group deciding on which ones we thought would go first, it would be nice to get a little, maybe one page in the manual that says, okay, here's the, like, card precedence order. This one beats this one, beats this one, beats this one. Would be nice. 
kind of minor, but it does really, especially when things are so tight, it can be a point of contention between players. Another thing, the production of this game is great. The art in it is really, it's very like metal, death metal, Ragnarok, and it's very appropriate for that. The minis are great, but one thing that I was a little disappointed to see, I mean, I guess this is from 2016, which is not really an excuse, but the depiction of women is maybe not the best. All the dudes are these hulking figures in, you know, dressed in armor ready for battle, and the women are very much in chainmail bikinis, unfortunately. I mean, you I mean, you could make the point that they all know they're going to die anyway, so maybe the ladies are just trying to die in battle more than the others, but in which case some of the guys should have been a little more naked too. So it's not the greatest, and it's one of the things that Caitlin actually picked up on almost immediately when I started setting this one up, is just that, yeah, the ladies are scantily clad and not really equipped for battle. And that's not, not great to see. And kind of as a last criticism, I found the game can snowball a bit. You do get rewards for winning, so if you do really well in the first round, you can run away with it. You get benefits for doing so, which just makes you stronger in the next round. Yeah, and as you just get more benefits, you can just become this unstoppable force, but I found that the randomization of the card draft and the card draft itself really helps balance that. There are multiple ways to win this game, as much as fights are important, you can get cards and upgrades that actually reward you for losing. The Loki cards, and his kind of whole shtick is to just get in fights and die, and then you get rewarded for doing so. And just with the different kind of strategies, whether you want to go monster heavy or people heavy or try to go a lot of quests, there are different ways to win this game, and those do kind of help balance. So snowballing can occur, I don't think it will most of the time because of this kind of huge variation, but yeah, it's something to be aware of. As well, the cards, I guess that wasn't the last criticism, this is the last, but as well as the cards can feel just a little take that-ish. If you are planned your whole turn around this one big fight, you pull out your big guns and then someone flips over a card that just like cancels all your stuff or takes a bunch of your guys off the field or that kind of stuff, there's a bit of take that-ishness to the game. It does really, you can just flip cards and ruin someone's day, which is okay. I mean, it's not hugely present, and the game is about punching each other in the nose, so it's kind of a little bit expected, but it can be a little frustrating, especially when it's so tight in the area control and the action economy of these points. So, overall, I'm hugely positive on Blood Rage. Yes, there are parts that make it not perfect, it art and kind of the occasional frustration that can emerge from the mechanics. It is quite simple and fun. It's an easy teach. There's not a huge amount going on. You can easily just do a first age before and do a practice round to help everybody get up to speed, and once they get it, you can throw down pretty quickly. And it is quite fun. As much as it's not a troops on a map game and all that stuff and the card draft is important, once you know that, doing so is quite fun and getting the different upgrades and the different variants between plays that make every kind of play experience and or every experience different is quite satisfying and it's a fun time to do. So it is quite a fun game and worth checking out. This does get the Meeple in a Game Stack shelf-worthy award. I think it's something that's worth owning. It's a fun, pretty lighter rules and easier to just get played and out on the table with a fun evocative theme than a lot of war games that can tend to be heavy. And this one really is just kind of fun. Uh, and interestingly, 
I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as Rising Sun. Yes, there's more to Rising Sun. It's a little more complicated, but I thought this one got close, I guess. But I think I'll save the comparisons for next week, which is the Eric Lang wrap-up episode, where I compare the few and talk about what I've learned about Eric Lang and from games. And that is going to do it for our podcast this week. As always, big thanks to the artist Grumpy Snorlax for the use of their song Cerulean as our intro and outro music. I do love the artist Grumpy Snorlax. I do listen to their stuff all the time. You can find them on their own site or on Spotify. They're really good and kind of chill, very often video game inspired lo-fi beats. (laughs) If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend. It's the best way to help us grow and to help the podcast out. And hopefully they can find something they find interesting or we can help them find a good game or a game that they really like. But as always, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.